So this week, uh, the Torah portion is unpronounceable, and it's translated as a wise and understanding people. It's from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 3, 23, verse chapter 7, 11, and Isaiah 1, 1 through 27, and Luke uh, chapter 3, verses 2 through 15. So Moses is continuing his recap of the Torah, or the book of words, which is what... Uh, Devarim means it's the book of words and that's what in Hebrew it was originally called the book of uh, repetition of the words or something it's it's uh, Moses is just going over everything that the Lord had told him and the things that he had told the people because he was about to uh, make his departure on Mount Pisgah and the people were going to be put into the hands of Joshua and led into the promised land so he was uh he was reiterating everything he had told them for the last 40 years or so. So if you recall, Moses led them right up to the promised land, in fact, twice. But this, this is where he was. He took them to the promised land again. And it's kind of interesting that Moses was not allowed into the promised land because of all he had done and all he was, you would think that the Lord would let him enter the promised land. And the, the reason, of course, is he didn't represent the people correctly that one time. He was angry at the people because they were whining and, uh, you know, he struck the rock and called the people out and he was supposed to show the picture of the Lord and the Lord would bring the water from and he didn't do it so as his punishment he couldn't enter into the promised land but it's it it brings up an interesting question are there those who will lead you to the promised land and then someone else takes you in and the, the if you recall from last week or the week before or whenever it was the name Joshua Yehoshua means he will say and it's essentially the same word as Yeshua, which means he saves. So, of course, the picture is the man, Moses, who represents the teacher and the law and the Torah and all of those things, represents the words of God, can only take you so far. It's the Lord himself who has to take you into the promised land. And to draw a picture of Moses perhaps leading the people in wouldn't, necessarily be the right picture because and and we'll get to this hopefully tonight but this is a reasonably common theme throughout scripture and in fact if if you were a rabbi and studied at the rabbi schools you would understand that the common perception that the rabbis teach and again this is a jewish thing not necessarily a biblical thing but their belief and i don't think it's uh, far from the mark, which is why I don't mind sharing it, is that it was the Jews' absolute ironclad belief in the letter of the law that led to their destruction. So one of the things we're going to get to tonight, and again, it's something that you can read often in Scripture if your eyes are open to it, and I would encourage you to think about, not just as you read Scripture, but in, in life, is... Uh, and, and how we'll phrase it later is 
you're not called to be right. You're called to do right. So the words of Scripture are supposed to change your heart and to change the way you view things. And when the Jews got too legalistic and they had to be right, it resulted in their destruction. And it's the same, well, with many of us, we, we seek to be right sometimes more than we seek to do right. And you can't do right unless you understand the words of Scripture and the things of the Torah and the things that the teacher said. But if you apply them absolutely legally without thinking it through all the way, you will be right, but you won't be helping God at all. So that picture sort of permeates this section of Scripture, but also um, all of Scripture as you read over it. And, you know, you've, you've, I'm sure if you've been here any length of time, you've had uh, Christians from church who don't understand maybe what we do or what the Old Testament is, if you want to call it that, um, say, oh, we're not legalistic. Well, legalism was what destroyed the Jews, what destroyed Israel. So they understand that it's not about legalism either. It's about taking that information and conducting yourself in a way that other people would be drawn to you. And that's the name of today's Torah portion is a wise and understanding people. And the understanding part is you, you have to know what the Lord said. You have to know those words. You have to know his instructions and statutes and judgments. Otherwise, you wouldn't be a, a knowing or understanding person. But it's those words when applied in the way that you conduct yourself day to day with your neighbors and friends and workmates and churchmates and everything else that you become wise. And that's, again, the picture of uh, what we're, this, this particular section, but we're always in the Tanakh, because, you know, that's what we do. And that's always the picture. It's, it's not a picture of legalism, regardless of what your other pastors say. It's a picture of being wise and understanding and knowledgeable. So, uh, when we talk about these things, especially that concept, you know, and I don't want to beat this dead horse again. Well, actually I do, but I think it's important that we understand that the time is coming and it's not yet here when um, the hearts of the children will turn to the fathers, the hearts of the fathers will turn to the children, the last verses in the Tanakh. And of course that if the fathers are Moses and the Torah and the law and the children is Israel and Elijah and us, right now there's a divide and the Jews don't see the Messiah and most Christians don't see the law. But the time is coming and in fact has to come before the end. It's, it's actually a trigger to the end when the Jews eyes will be opened and they will see the Messiah that we've always known and that our eyes will be open and we'll see the Torah in the way that Moses was uh, suggesting. And of course, Paul spoke about that with the wild olive tree and the natural olive tree 
And Ezekiel spoke about it with the two sticks, Israel and Judah. And they come together as one, Hosea, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and everybody else has similar things. And I would, well, it's, it's, I'll suggest it, but I know it's more than a suggestion. It's true. It has to happen. These things cannot, the end cannot come until these things happen. And as 21st century American Christians, when we're thinking about end times and all of that, we tend to focus on Matthew 24 and Luke, whatever chapter that is. And it talks about all the things, you know, wars and rumors of wars and ethnic group against ethnic group. And all of these things that are signs of the end. And those are true. We will see those, and we are seeing those things. Um, but one of the things we don't often talk about is this concept of uh, the two sticks coming together, the hearts of the fathers turning to the children and children turning to fathers and all that stuff. So as Moses is, uh, the entire book of Devarim or Deuteronomy is about, he's, he's, Moses is recapping all of the things and he will, in this book, he'll go through all of the actual events. He'll recap the history of uh, the 40 years and even previous to that and, and the fathers and the, all of that. And then he recounts the instructions and judgments and statutes of the Lord. And tonight um, you will probably see the, new, the, the, the Ten Commandments as we sail through that. But he's, he's saying, and I haven't counted, I should, how many times he says Shema, hear. You know, and all through Scripture you'll get this idea of they have ears but they're not hearing they have eyes but they're not seeing and this is what he's saying and every time you read the word shema it means hear internalize understand don't just listen you go to church and you sit in the pew and you listen and you go oh, that's great where are the donuts that's not what he's saying he's saying take it in get the message put it in your heart and have it mean something if it doesn't change the way you think and the way you act, then you're not internalizing it. You're being, not doing. And if you want to just know it, that you know, or hear, or listen to it, I guess you know most people do. But he, he, this, the book of Devarim is saying, don't just listen, internalize it, know these things. That's why he's going over it again, because they already knew these things, but they hadn't internalized it. So there's a cool picture of this in the book of Daniel, which was what was up there in the beginning. Um, starting in chapter 3, verse 14, it says, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Not their real names. Do you not serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if you be ready that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made, well, but if you worship not, then you will be cast that same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said unto the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to understand thee in this matter. I'm sorry, to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto you, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, 
nor worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and in the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it wants to be heated. So that's a picture of what I'm saying. It's one thing to know, you know, to be, to understand, okay, here's the commandments, they're these things. It's a complete another issue to internalize it and live that way and trust that those things are true. And there's the picture. They knew the words of the Torah and they had internalized them to the point where if, if it means my life, it means my life. You know, I don't care. My God's stronger than your God, right? And if he wants to bust me out of here, he will. If not, big deal. He's still my God and you're not. And of course, you know, you know how that story turned out. Uh, Psalm 12, 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure as silver tried in a furnace of the earth, purified seven times. One of those things I always wondered about was, how could Nebuchadnezzar heat a furnace that's designed to bake bricks or melt silver or whatever seven times? And why would he even say that? Well, it's, it's interesting that the words of the Lord are pure words. As silver heated in the furnace of the earth, purified seven times. Psalm 119.71, it is good for me to have been afflicted that I might learn thy statutes. That's how you learn. If everything is going great, you have plenty of money, you're never sick, life is good, you're probably not going to really internalize the things of the Lord because you have no reason to. Isaiah 48.10, Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. <laughs> Bless you. So we have to go through this furnace of affliction. And we could do a whole study. I would like to, in fact, sometime on furnace and the word furnace. And, you know, it said Nimrod wore an emulet around his neck or whatever you call that thing of a furnace. And the pharaohs, of course, are pictured as a furnace. And um, you see this idea of a furnace all the time. And it's out of this furnace comes, of course, I mean, physically it would come purified silver and gold and would come hardened bricks and all that. But out of this symbolic furnace comes people that are useful to the Lord. You have to be afflicted in order to get to the point, apparently, that you can internalize these things. And that was the entire idea of the Lord moving the people to Egypt. This was not a surprise move. He could have at any moment ended the famine in Canaan and given the uh, Joseph and the boys food and they wouldn't have had to go to Egypt, but he had a plan. He knew exactly what needed to happen. He needed to move the people of Israel, all 70 of them to Egypt, and it was gonna be good for several hundred years so that they could become afflicted in the furnace of Egypt. And that's how he would bring a people out. And he does that repeatedly. And that's what Isaiah has, has said. I've chosen, well, it's the Lord. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. If there is, if, if you find yourself in the furnace of affliction and you're reasonably certain it's not 100% your fault, you can rejoice in that because there's a reasonable expectation that the Lord is burning away the dross in your life. 
and it may not be awesome. You know, it could be, and with each of us, it's different. There are things that drag each of us down. And I know uh, alcoholics can't go into a bar. Well, it doesn't bother me. You know, there's all sorts, whatever your thing is, the Lord wants to burn it away. And he will do that in, in a different way, but we will all face a furnace of affliction so that we can be useful to the Lord. Uh, back to the Torah portion today in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 30 and 31, and I think we'll read this again later. When thou art in tribulation and all these things come upon thee, even in the latter days, if you turn unto the Lord thy God and shall be obedient unto his voice, for the Lord thy God is a merciful God, he will not forsake you, neither will he destroy you, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he swear unto them. So again, you see this picture all throughout the scripture, there has to be a certain amount of affliction in your life. There just has to be. And if there's not, I would be uh, somewhat concerned that it's either A, coming, or you've missed it. But that's how he burns away the dross. And everything spiritual in scripture is always identified once or twice or 12 times by a physical reality. And the physical reality is in order to make gold or silver or brass or whatever it is you want to make, you either add a bunch of metals together or you, if it's gold or silver, you burn the metal and then all the dross, the crud, comes to the top and you scrape it off and throw it away. And then you go through this process again. You burn it again and more of the dross comes up and you throw it away. Well, if you don't do that, it's worthless. You know, what good is 20% gold or 50% gold? You need to get 100% gold, and that's what 24, I guess, you can correct me on this if you're wrong, 24 karat gold has been afflicted 24 times to get all of the impurities out of it. If it's 12 karat, it's only been afflicted 12 times, and it's maybe only 95% gold. And it's, it's if, if you're a goldsmith, that's important stuff to know, but that's the way he works. It's the furnace of affliction is the picture to burn away the dross in our life. And I don't, certainly don't want to see a show of hands and don't necessarily need to see a list, but we all have stuff that we need burned away. Pride or whatever. And that's what the Lord will do. And he does that because he loves you. If he didn't love you and didn't care about you, he wouldn't bother putting you in the furnace of affliction because you would have no hope of eternity with him. But he does. He wants to be with you. And that's, again, from the very first word of Scripture, the first letter of the first word where the Lord is building a house. And the Hebrew idea of a house requires a wife and children. That's what a house is. Well, if you want to be in that house of the Lord, there is a certain amount of affliction that you're going to have to go through because he wants to clean the dross out. Because you cannot stand in front of the Lord if you're imperfect and this is how you get there. So don't, don't envision the affliction in your life as being problematical or the Lord is, you know, the Lord hates me like the children in, in the desert did. They said, oh, the Lord hates me. He brought us out here to kill us. Well, that's ridiculous. If he wanted to kill you, he would have left you in Egypt. He could have killed you there. 
But he didn't. He wanted to afflict you. He wanted to take the dross away. He wanted to change you into something usable. So it's uh, often a good thing. Well, I guess it's a good thing if you're following after the Lord. If you're not, the affliction is not a good thing because you're getting it for other reasons. You're getting it for judgment and correction and reproof and uh, reasons that, you know, you don't want, really. So if you're, if you're attempting to follow after the Lord and things go poorly for you, I'll just say amen because it's supposed to, because he's making a better person out of you. He's drawing you closer to him. And it's no fun at the time. And there are any number of verses in the New Testament that will describe that. It's, it's not fun for a season, but it's well worth it. So as we're uh, going through this section, Moses launches off on, uh, he's, he, his, he's recounting his request to the Lord to please let him go in to the promised land and see, he calls it the goodly mountain, which we know as Moriah. And uh, in Hebrew, Moriah is, is, it means to see God, is basically what it means. But it seems as though the Lord had already told Moses what was going to happen. When it says he, he brought him to Mount Pisgah and showed him all the lands, you can't physically see all the lands from Mount, I mean, it's a great view, and you can see a lot of the land. But it says he showed him all the lands. So the general idea or interpretation of that is that the Lord showed him. I mean, he saw a vision of certainly all of the land and all of the people, probably all of history. He saw Mount Moriah. He saw the crucifixion. He saw the resurrection. He saw the Jewish people. He probably saw everything. He probably saw all of history. And that's what the Lord showed him. But again, he wouldn't let him into the land. And I think there's a, a bigger picture there. It's not, I mean, he, he, he did sin. He, he didn't represent the Lord like he should have that one time. But I think the bigger picture is no man can lead you into the promised land. There are many teachers that will lead you to the promised land. But it's not their job to lead you into the promised land. That is Yeshua's job. Yehoshua. Yehoshua, Joshua. He will save. Yeshua, Jesus. He saves. That's their job. So chapter 4. Atashema Yisrael. And it, you can look at that but like, like it's saying at this time or in light of everything that I've said and you've experienced here, you know, don't listen here and internalize. Don't simply listen to these things if you are under God's authority. And then he launches off on uh, what he's about to say. And, and we read several times about, uh, if you have yours, you know, to hear, and you get this concept again and again and again through this portion, and certainly other portions, but specifically here. Because remember, the name of this is a wise and understanding people. So the whole focus is on how do we get to be a wise and understanding people? And the short answer is you have to hear, you have to internalize, you have to see and know these things. So what things? What are these things that we are to internalize and take to heart? And I'm sure most of you have been here long enough to know the answer to that. Uh, the instructions, statutes, judgments, the commandments of the Lord, the things that he said. These are the things 
that Moses is talking about. He's recapping all this stuff in the, in the book of Devarim. So then he, he goes on about uh, don't add or subtract. And the word is actually means scrape off. Don't, don't scrape off anything from the, the Lord's wisdom. Don't add anything to it. And it was interesting because um, I don't tell Nedra what to do. And as far as I know, I don't even tell her what we're doing. If she wants to read ahead and know what we're doing, amen and hallelujah, and she can focus her her songs on that, but we don't ever have that discussion. I leave it to the Lord to tell her what to sing, and for the most part, she leaves it to tell me what to, you know, what to talk about. <coughs> but it's interesting that uh, she start. She's never sung the the fear, fear no evil song, as far as I know. Yeah, and it's so I wasn't expecting that. But in that song, he talks about the 4,200 uh, religious standards. That's what I was going to talk about. And, and it's this picture of how do you get to the point where you have even two religious standards, let alone 4,200. It's because every one of them scrapes stuff off of God's word and adds stuff to it. And that is exactly what the Nakash did in the garden with Eve. He took the words of the Lord and he said, oh, no, 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 no. that's not what he meant. What he, he didn't mean you're going to die. You know, it's a tree of good and evil, right? So he says the good, but not the evil. So he's scraping some of the Lord's words off. And he's adding other things to it. Well, Moses says, don't do that. The Lord says, don't do that. You, you take my words at the those words they are what they mean don't add anything to them don't take anything away from them but we do there would be no other way to come up with 4200 religions and denominations and I can go through a few hundred of them and tell you what they've taken away or what they've added and it's not rocket science you can look at you know, Methodists today, and you can have gay woman pastors. Well, the Bible is clear. They're adding to it. They're taking things away. Even things like Buddhism and Confucianism and Islam, certainly Islam, they're all based on the words of the Lord, but they've taken things away or added things to it. And of course, they would be based on the words of the Lord because that's that was all the truth there was. And then for whatever reason... Um, some of it got added to and some of it got left behind and then none of it's any good. It's like rat poison. It's, it's what, 99% life cereal and 1% poison. And it's, it's that 1% that will do you in. And we have all these religions making their own rules and saying their own stuff. This is bad. <laughs> Moses is very clear and the Lord is very clear that you need to stick to the instructions of God. And the book of Devarim, Deuteronomy, Moses is giving us those instructions again, and he adds, uh, he's, he adds to it what the Lord told him these things meant. I'll say whatever it is that the commandment is, and then Moses will say, this is what it means in your life. 
We can't do that necessarily. Moses could do it because the Lord spoke to him. So let me read from Ezekiel uh, 20, starting in verse 34. And it says, I will bring out from the people and gather you out of the countries when you're, wherein you are scattered with a mighty hand and with a stretched out arm and with fury poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the people and there I'll plead with you face to face like as I pleaded with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will plead with you, saith the Lord, and I will cause you to pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. And I will purge out among you, uh, out from among you, the rebels and them that transgress against me, and I will bring them forth out of the country where I may sojourn, and they shall not enter into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord. As for you, O house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, go and serve ye some, uh, go and serve ye every one his idols hereafter, if you will not hearken unto me. But pollute, but pollute me, pollute ye my holy name no more with your gifts and with your idols. So he's saying, at, this is at the end, right? Because he's saying, I will plead with you face to face in the wilderness of the people like I pleaded with them then. So this isn't, he's not talking about the people in the desert. He's not talking about the time of Moses. He's talking about later at the end, he's going to gather the people together, which I suggest is us. And he will plead with us face to face. So he may take us to the land, which is what this says. But at the border of the crossing where Moses is right now, we will be again. And he said, I will purge out from among you the rebels. So the fact that you have some relationship with the Lord or your church or whatever, the fact even that you make it over with this group of people to be right at the gate of the promised land, there will be many that he's going to purge out. He's going to purge out those rebels. And what makes you a rebel? If you add or subtract to the word of the Lord. It's, he, he, he doesn't seem to say he will purge you if you don't know it all. Because who's going to know it all? Moses knew it all. I mean, we should know it all. It's not that complicated. <clears throat> but he doesn't say, because you don't know everything, I'm going to purge you out. But basically what he says is because you've added or subtracted, I'm going to purge you out. So there are so many people, and it concerns me at some point. I, I, know, I know the Lord's going to work this out. I don't know how, and that's why I'm concerned. But there are so many people, read that almost everyone, that I know that attends a church or a denomination or a religion or whatever, and they all think they're golden and they could be really swell people and do great things. But they've added or they've subtracted. And not even them so much. It's the church that they belong to. And some of these churches today are so whacked out. They just cut anything that they don't like out and add all kinds of things that they think should be there in and they think they're golden and it they seem to equate being a good person with being saved and it's unfortunate that there will be a great many good people who are purged out just before they get in the promised land so the only way you can avoid that is to not 
add and subtract, to know his commandments, instructions, judgments, and statutes, and to let those things be internalized in your life so that you just, it's, it's just your truth. And it's not simple. And it does take some time. And it's like anything else. The more you practice, the easier it gets. But if you have a heart to do that, you're probably not in the rebel category. If your faith is in your Methodist church or your Catholic church or your Mormon church and what they say goes, I think there could be a problem because I doubt if your church has it right. They've added stuff and they've subtracted stuff and you know, and we or most of us attend a non-denominational Christian church and probably have the best possibility there are to get to the truth, but I don't know any non-denominational Christian churches in this area that teach the Torah. And the Torah is the foundation to everything. If you don't have, and we get this all over the Second Testament, if you don't have a foundation, your house is built on sand. Well, the foundation is the Torah. There is no other foundation. And if your truths and your understandings are not built on those things, what are they built on? It's back the golden rule. Be good. You know, be, be good to people and they'll be good to you. Awesome. That's a great way to live. But that is not the way that you get into the kingdom of heaven. It's not the way you become a child in the house of God that we saw in Genesis 1.1. The only way you get there is by internalizing the truth of the things of the Lord. So that's like I say, that's exactly how the enemy works. And he is working overtime today with the things that you hear and see on the news. And it's crazy. It's just nuts. It makes no sense. Some of the stuff, most of the stuff that you hear going on, it's just, it's like, really? That doesn't make any sense. How can you be so disturbed or so far off the mark that you think that's right? And if you're like me, you probably look at that stuff and go, they can't really believe that. They're just saying that to get on TV or whatever. But some of them really do believe that. And it's frightening because they think they're good and they're not. So this idea of um, 4,200 religious standards, as, as Brian put it, how do you get that way? You, you take something of the Lord and you mix something of Egypt or something of the world with it. Some, you coexist. Bless you. And God does not mix. He is a jealous God. You know, one thing to me that really shows the importance of it all is the very last sentences in the Bible, in Revelation, where it says, do not take away yeah. or add to. Exactly. That's the very last two sentences yep. in the whole book of the Bible. That's right. You know, if you're supposed to ponder anything, I would think it would be the very last sentences when you finish the book. Yeah. And the very last sentence of the Old Testament or the Tanakh is that the, two, the hearts of the fathers and children will come together. 
and you, 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 you can't mix the world. The Egypt is the Hebrew word mitzarim, and it's from sore, to, you know, T-S, tsor. It means to cramp or confine from matzor to limit. It means under pressure. It's um, when, when the children were walking through the mouth of the gorges and found themselves up against the Red Sea. That's the picture of Mitzurim, under pressure, because there was walls on both sides, the Red Sea in front, the Egyptian army in the back. They were getting squeezed. They were getting squeezed big. That's the picture of Mitzurim. That's the word Egypt. That's the picture of the world. The world's wisdom will always limit or cramp or confine or squeeze us, and it seeks to squeeze us away from the truth of the Lord. Exactly. You've been reading ahead again, I see. No. <laughs> no, it's true. Because in in the land of Canaan, they were told to do that. They eliminated the people. They burnt down the Ashtaroths and the temples. And they took all of that stuff. Because you can't have that in the land. But they were told not to even set a sandal foot in the land of Edom and Ammon and uh, several of these other people. We don't go into the world and destroy the altars of the world. We act in such a way where the world looks at you and thinks there's a person of wisdom and understanding. There's a country of wisdom and understanding. And that was the purpose of the nation of Israel was to live amongst these people who did not have wisdom and understanding and would look at them and say, well, there's a country that does have wisdom and understanding. What do they have that I don't have? And if you jumped ahead 4,000 years, or maybe not quite 4,000 years, America was founded. And it was founded as a Christian nation. You'll never hear that on today's news or any textbook today, but you read what uh, Washington and all these guys wrote, where they, it was incumbent on the people of the nation to prefer a Christian leader, to elect a Christian leader, to look for people with wisdom and knowledge and understanding who had integrity. Those were the people. And if you recall the, the legislative, the uh, judicial and the executive branches, are straight exactly verbatim from Isaiah. I think Isaiah 33 somewhere. I mean, all of this was that way. And this country lived even before we were a country until the 1800s or so. And it was, there was no other place on earth like this that had ever been like this. To the extent that um, people would come over to see how, how it is that this country was like that. And obviously, this isn't in my notes, so I can't remember the guy's name right off the top of my head. But he came over, was here for many years, wrote a book. And his, the famous quote out of this book is, America is good, or America is great because America is good. And this guy was French. I can't think of his name. Peter Marshall? No, no, no. That's a good book, though. Peter Marshall has two good books, you should read. 
Um, this guy came over in the 1800s, wrote that he wanted to investigate why America was, was the way it was and France was not. The France and England and Europe was all descending and going the wrong direction, but America, the United States was awesome. And that was bottom line, his conclusion, America is great because America is good. We had a foundation of wisdom and understanding and knowledge. We knew the word of the Lord. All of the founding fathers, spoke, or at least most of them, spoke Hebrew, read Hebrew. Um, you know, we've, we've gone over that before. There was, a, there was a foundation that was solid, and it's not the case anymore. We have added to and subtracted from to the extent God wouldn't even recognize the word. And yet, as we read through this Torah portion, uh, we will find, and you may have to find this on your own, because we may not get to it, but that's what the word says, is he will bring us out of affliction. And it's, the, it's this word furnace, uh, cur, I think. It's a hole in the ground that you light a fire and make a furnace. There's a big brick oven or a big hole in the ground. So we get into these places where he needs to burn away the dross of our lives. He needs to teach us something. He needs to purify us. He needs to make us something he can use. And then we come forth out of that. And in some amount of generations, we become stale. And we start subtracting and adding to make life easier for us. And then the ultimate outcome of that is we find ourselves in bondage in this furnace again, at which time all the dross is burned away and we become usable to the Lord again. And this cycle happens and happens and happens and happens. And we'll read about that. And right now you look around the world and it's, it's hard not to see that we are either in or right at the edge of the furnace. There is very little of God's word left anywhere. No, no, no country, the United States certainly doesn't have it. There's no country on earth that stands for the things of the Lord. So that is the exact conditions at which the Lord will allow his people to go into the furnace again, to have all that stuff burned away except this will be the last time because we know what the timing is and this is this is going to be it i i i suspect because of what paul said that we're to look to the exodus generation and that's how we're to conduct our lives and we should expect to learn from them and we should see those things and we should expect those things to happen to us that we should expect that we should we should expect some kind of furnace and sometimes it's hard it's hard to contemplate because our lives are so good and so easy and it's, you know, I mean, life is good. I've read the shirt. Life is good. It is good. Here in America, it's good. Even the worst life is good here. Good example of that was this week in China. You know, we haven't had one of protests. Mm -hmm. The people were walking through the streets holding the American flag high and oh, singing yeah. our national anthem. Yeah. Which is weird. Because you, you're in America, you look at it, you think, man, we are, you know. But what did Billy Graham say? If, if uh, uh, God doesn't judge America, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology <laughs> because we're as bad as they've ever been. And it's coming. It, it has to come. I, I read the book. I know There has to be a furnace that will burn away the dross so his people will find themselves standing at the gate of the promised land and will be allowed to enter instead of rejected as rebels. It will happen. It has to happen. 
So we look at the way the world's going today. We think, oh my God, you know, we've got to we've got to vote Republican. Okay, good. You know, always vote Republican if there's nothing else to vote for. But that's not going to solve the problem. The problem is a moral issue. And I don't see anybody out there leading anybody in any direction other than straight to hell. So something has got to, got to give here. Um, so anyway, we're talking about this mixing. And uh, Moses equates the idea of taking something away or adding something to the word of the God with the sin of Baal Peor, which we have just read a few. It was... Many, many years ago, I mean, it was 30 years ago or something for Moses, but we uh, read where, remember Balaam and Balak, and he wanted him to curse, and he couldn't curse, he had to bless, but he had an idea, I can't curse them, I have to bless them, but here's the deal, I know how to stumble them. So let's send all the beautiful women from your place in, and we'll get these people uh, all riled up, and uh, before you know it, they'll be worshiping idols, and God himself will do the things that you want to do. He will curse his own people because they have, well, that's mixing. So Moses in this particular section of scripture is describing this concept of mixing and scraping off the word of the Lord with the sin at Baal Peor. And the sin at Baal Peor, if you recall, because I think it was 24,000 to die immediately. And then that was where Pincus took his spear and ran it through uh, Zimri and Cosby and stayed the plague and went back into the temple and, you know, got God's attention and stopped the plague after a mere 24,000 deaths in just a small amount of time. So that's Baal Peor. That's mixing. That's scraping away from the word and adding to the word. And that's, that is the exact case that <clears throat> Moses makes. So we know that Yahweh is a jealous God and he does not take likely lightly to this idea of mixing. His word is his word. And if you remember when the Romans and the Greeks and the, uh, the, the Babylonians, whoever it is, has overrun Israel, their idea, which has always worked everywhere except in Israel, was to we just embrace the gods of the country we've just overran and we add them to our pantheon of gods because what does it matter? We add 10 more gods, big deal. Well, they got to Israel, they can't do that because the God of Israel does not mix. He's not standing in the pantheon with any other gods. He is God. And those people uh, are So anyway, it always became a problem. So I would suggest that we take a hard look at our, not only ourselves, but I mean our, our, our community and our nation. And what is it that we should do personally? What is it that we can do in a community? Is, what is it we can do in a nation? And we get a little overwhelmed when we look at trying to convert our nation or even our state or city back to a people with wisdom and understanding. But it's, we can do it with us. And that's where it starts. If we do it, then there will be people near us that will do it. And if people near them will do it, and that's exactly how it works. And that's the case that Moses is making here. And he says, in a sense, you kind of have to read between the lines, our survival is dependent on obeying and keeping these commandments. So Deuteronomy 4.23, Take heed unto yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you. 
and make a graven image or the likeness of anything which the Lord God has forbidden thee. And we think, uh, I heard, heard a Saturday Night Live thing. They were uh, mocking Christianity, of course, like they always do. And he was talking about the lady with the cross with the little man on it that she was wearing. And she, they're mocking Christianity, but the cross with the little man on it is actually a graven image. It says, do not make graven, Im graven images, male or female. So you can't have a goddess, of course. There's no word in Hebrew for goddess. There's no need for it because it doesn't exist. So we have so many people that are, especially in big denominational churches that are, they, they, they'll say they don't, but they do. They worship this graven image. And then you get the people that say, oh, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. There was, there was gold angels on top of the, or brass bowls underneath the, that's true. He's not saying he's against art. He's saying he's against things that people worship. Do not make something that will lead people to worship anything. I mean, the only thing worthy of worship is the Lord God himself, and you don't know what he looks like. He always speaks. He did this several times in the Old Testament. He would speak, and the people would see tongues of fire come out. They never saw the person, but they could see the tongues of fire. And then, of course, in Acts, you saw the same thing. The cloven tongues of fire came out and all that stuff. Um, you don't know what he looks like. You can't make an image of him. Don't make an image of him. That was the, the golden calf thing. They didn't know where Moses went of this. Moses, we don't know what became of it. It's been gone for 40 days and 40 nights. They were worshiping the Lord. They were trying to follow the Lord, but they didn't have anything. So they made a golden calf because they were familiar with that. That's what they had in Egypt. So let, and they're not worshiping the golden calf, but they were making an image that was disgusting to the Lord. So don't do that. Um, okay, his, in his warning to Laodicea, which we should take some knowledge of, Revelation three seventeen through 19, it says, because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest, uh, that thou, oh, and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel thee to buy gold of me tried in the fire that thou may be rich and white raiment that thou may be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness does not appear, and anoint thy eyes with eye salve that you can see. Many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Again, the furnace of the fire, the dross burning away, he will chasten you, he'll rebuke you. But this is good, because he does it because he loves you. He wants to purify you and make you acceptable to him. There's a section on the moon and the sun and the stars, the hosts of heaven, it calls it. And these things are made by God. You talk about the Babylonians and the Zoroastrians and everybody and their brother who worships the, the things in the sky. The reason they worship the things in the sky is because even they are smart enough to know they didn't just happen. God put them there. They didn't know the God. So they worshiped him through these things. And it was a false worship. But it, you know, it's, it, Paul took that when he went to, uh, Athens, and he's walking through. Remember what he says? I, I, and the, you know, the, the, the guys wanted to talk to him. He's like, I see that you're all very religious. You have all these religious things going on. I even saw the altar to the unknown God. And he said, let me tell you about that. And he proceeds to tell them all about Jesus. 
well, this section of scripture might indicate that these people who worship all the sun, moon, and stars, that is a great opening for us because they understand that something, someone, some entity, some God made that, but they don't know who it was. We can explain that to them um, because we have knowledge and understanding. Okay, so let's see. Stale. Let's go to Deuteronomy 4.25. When thou shalt beget children and children's children, and you shall remain long in the land and corrupt yourself and make a graven image or the likeness of anything and shall do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. This, this remained long in the land is just shame. It's that word for stale. After generations and generations, you tend to become stale. The thing that keeps it fresh, if you will, is the furnace of affliction. And we seek to do everything we can do to avoid the furnace of affliction when it's the thing we need most. And you look at, uh, you know, the United States today, you look at the world today, and the thing that we need most is the fire of affliction to burn this dross away. It has been children's 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 children since we followed the Lord and we're stale. We just are. So something has to happen. And I, of course, beat the drum that we need to individually try to eliminate this staleness and follow after the Lord and recognize that there is probably a national deal that's coming, maybe a worldwide deal that's coming. Maybe it's the furnace of affliction of the next world war. I, I don't know what it is. Obviously, I get no texts from the Lord about this stuff. But I do know that there will be some, there's something has to happen to change the staleness of the people today to something useful from the Lord. Matthew 24, 12 says, and because inequity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. This word inequity is without Torah. So because people no longer know the Torah, no longer know the words, no longer have knowledge and understanding of these things, the love of many will wax cold. And that's what you see. You see all these mass murderers, or, you know, and, and uh, I will send you my take on that stuff pretty soon. There are more murders every week in the big city than all the mass murderers combined. Their love of, I mean, people do not, they're just cold. <coughs> They're stale. They have lost the things of the Lord. This section of, of scripture in uh, Deuteronomy chapter four and this idea are the verses that are typically read during Tisha B'Av, which was last week. Remember the, the week of fast. yeah the fast of all the bad things that happened. The spies came back with the evil report. The first temple was destroyed. The second temple was destroyed. The people were thrown out of Spain. They were thrown out of Portugal. There are a litany of things, and it always happens on Tisha B'Av, and it's a day that we need to consider. We should, although we won't get that tape for a while. But anyway, De Deuteronomy 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 27 to 30. And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and ye shall be left few in number among the heathen, whether the Lord shall lead you. <clears throat> and there you shall, uh, shall serve gods, the work of men's hands of wood and stone, which is neither to see, nor to hear, nor to eat, nor to smell. But if from thence 
You shall seek the, the Lord your God and you shall find him. If you shall seek him with all your heart and all your soul. When thou art in tribulation and all these things are come upon thee, even in the latter days, if you turn to the Lord thy God and shall be obedient to his voice. This is not new information. Uh, we've read that a hundred times in a different, different ways. But it's interesting in this particular section, the word translated as turn in English is from the Hebrew word shuv. And you remember that it means return. It means repent. That's the entire book of the Bible is about shuv. It's about returning to the time when we walked with the Lord in the cool of the afternoon. And it's about the time of returning to fellowship with him. That the entire book is about that. This word uh, shuv is typically translated return. This is turn. And do you have that up there somewhere? That uh, return thing, the Hebrew deal? That's not it. Although that's good. So, and I just wanted to point this. Okay, there it is. There's the word return shub that's what it looks like and i still do not know why i can't get that thing to print right up here the word pronounced shafta is from the word shub and it's 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 turn but it's typically used uh, like here and in daniel chapter 11 and 12 and, and other places in reference to the last day but the word sabbath which means rest if you look at shafta and sabbath those are exactly the same. So this word return, turn, and rest, shub, shafta, and sabbath are essentially the same word. So think about this for a minute. If this idea of, re of turning at the end is the same as, it's the same word as sabbath. The sabbath is your rest. It's how you turn towards the latter days. It, you can make a case that the Sabbath is the way you are going to find yourself shoved, if you will, at the end time. If you find yourself at the door to the promised land, you want to get in. How do you get in? Well, because you've, you, you've kept the Sabbath. And we've talked about this in Ezekiel, which is why we do this on Friday night on the Sabbath. Because you're supposed to keep the Sabbath. It's important that you keep the Sabbath. And it's that word, turn. It's how you get there. I don't know. As, as you read it, it's 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 kind of interesting. Um, and of course, we're out of time. But I was going to say that this. Uh, I'll say it anyway. When you talk about Daniel chapter eleven, chapter twelve, it's all about the end times. All of the, you know, he's he's explaining. God is explaining to him. There's all the people he's seeing, and they're telling him all the things to look for in the end of times. And then he says in, in 12, 9, the Lord says, and he said, go on thy way, Daniel, for their words are closed up and sealed until the end of time. And it's always been a big question about what are those words? Because we would love to know those words, but they're sealed until the end of time. And of course, again, I did not get a text from the Lord on this. But one of the things that might be sealed is this time of return. We are the hearts of the fathers turn to the children, Hosea, you know, Malachi, all this stuff. That has to happen at the time of the end. 
and I don't see it described anywhere in Scripture, Daniel was being given the exact instructions of what was going to happen at the end. That is going to happen. I can guarantee it has to happen. There will be no getting to the end until it happens. And I'm just wondering if, it, if it's because these are the same words that are used in Daniel and in, in Deuteronomy, the Sabbath, the turn, the end time, Kate, the latter days, all this stuff, if that has something to do with it. Um, okay, so we're like halfway through this. Let me read this as, we, as we're going, um, as we're going, as we're going through Deuteronomy, he goes, <laughs> Moses starts to read these things. It says, uh, I am the Lord their God, there is none other. He's, he's one. He's not going to share power with your God. Uh, do not make graven, graven images, neither male or female, to be worshipped. Don't bow down to them. He says, uh, the Lord will visit inequity to the third and fourth generation of the people who do this, but he will show mercy unto a thousand generations. Do not take the, Lord, uh, the name of the Lord in vain. The name is the Hebrew word shim, and it means authority. We say don't take the name of the Lord in vain, and we think all kinds of, you know, don't cuss and don't whatever. What it means is don't take the authority of the Lord. Don't say, and this has always freaked me out. People will say, oh, the Lord told me this, or the Lord said that, or the Lord told me to tell you this. It's saying don't do that. Because what you're doing is you're taking something that you think may be true and you're adding the authority of the Lord to it. You're adding it in vain. Don't do that. He says, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. If you have something to tell a person, tell them. Just tell them. Don't say the Lord told me to tell you this because that's taking his name in vain. Tell them you should know the truth because you've read the book, you know the words, you know the commandments, you know the instructions, you know the judgments. Feel free to tell people things, to instruct them, to teach them, to show them. Don't take his name in vain. Don't use his authority out of, out of character. Um, keep the Sabbath and sanctify it. Six days you should work, and the seventh day you don't. And he, and, and he says, when you were in Egypt, you were slaves. You worked seven days. Don't do that to other people. You didn't like it then, don't do it now. Don't do it to yourself, don't do it to other people. Take a day, you need the Sabbath day to, to uh, sanctify the Lord. It says, honor your mother and father. A good, good godly nation begins with a good godly family. If you don't have, if you're not, and America is toast in this regard, if you don't have a good family unit, you cannot have a good community. If you don't have a good community, you can't have a good state. You can't have a good country. It all comes down to, and this is, remember when we went through the whole marriage thing. You, you have to start with the family. Then there's five more things he says that are really one idea. They're collect, connected with the V, the Vav, and. It says, do not murder, and do not commit adultery, and do not steal, and do not bear false witness against your neighbor, and do not desire your neighbor's wife, house, field, servants, ox, donkey, or anything that belongs to them. Well, do you remember those? <laughs> those are the Ten Commandments, right? Those are listed in here. He goes through those, why they're important, and all of that. Um, and there's a bunch more, but that's... <coughs> you get the idea. So it was, it was a long section. It was four and a half, almost five chapters. And I, again, would encourage you to read it. And it's not stuff... 
we typically read. We, you know, it's, it's more interesting to watch the full-color, action-packed New Testament. But this is the foundation of that. You can't get there without this. So uh, have a read of those things again. And read the, the Haftor section, which is the Isaiah section. It's pretty interesting as well. Okay, there we go.